Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Boss Stuff Podcast, episode 334. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today we are talking about resetting expectations as a working parent. Today's podcast continues our entire May 2021 series on the intersection of motherhood and career. And today, this podcast in particular was inspired by an email I received from a Bossed Up listener, Ashley, who wrote the following, quote, I'm a mom to a 12-month-old. I found out I was pregnant about two weeks after starting my dream job in the fall of 2019. The timing was unexpected. I had used all of Emily's tips to negotiate my salary for this healthcare marketing position, making $26,000 more. Kudos, by the way, that's amazing. Plus a better title and better work environment. I was so nervous slash embarrassed to find out two weeks after starting that I would eventually need to tell them I was pregnant. To make matters worse, the big project I was hired for, a rebrand, was going to coincide with my maternity leave. My boss was super supportive, positive and reassuring beyond my expectations. My big project was delayed by a year unrelated to my leave and all went well during my 12 weeks off. They welcomed me back with open arms and have been flexible with all of the childcare challenges that COVID has thrown our way. I've been back to work for nine months, but I am totally burned out by working in healthcare communications during COVID-19, working from home 50 plus hours a week, avoiding my science-denying family members during the election, teething, sleepless nights, etc., The thing is, I'm starting to wonder if my dream job is worth all the stress that the pandemic has thrown our way. My boss is amazing, and I feel like I owe her for being so flexible and supportive along the way, but I also feel like I owe my family and myself a little peace. I'm really struggling with this and wondering if, when, or how I can create better work-life balance. I feel like I've worked 15 plus years for this role. And aside from the salary, the idea of changing my identity by cutting back on work is really throwing me for a loop. Having it all in corporate America isn't really all that it's portrayed to be. There are probably five different podcast topics in here, but I wanted to share because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's questioning their priorities during such a crazy time in this world. End quote. Yes, Ashley, you are absolutely right. You are not alone. And there's so much to talk about here. Uh, And there's so much personal choice that comes into making any decision like the ones you're considering. But today, what I want to focus on is why we are made to feel like having a rewarding job and becoming a mother are so incompatible and how we can change our own expectations to create a more sustainable path 
forward. So first, I want to break down what's known as the ideal worker myth. We operate in a workplace that was originally designed for men, men who were presumed to have a wife at home caring for children and tending to the house. Now, obviously, things have changed in terms of what the average worker looks like, but has the expectation around what makes for an ideal worker changed? Not so much. Bridget Schulte breaks this down in her book, Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. And she calls it the ideal worker myth, which is essentially a social construct based on the worker who is endlessly devoted to the job, has no personal priorities that get in the way of jumping into work at the drop of a hat, and can be always on if needed. So Ashley, When you describe yourself as feeling embarrassed for becoming pregnant so early on into a new position, it's likely because you're holding yourself up in comparison, whether consciously or unconsciously, to this mythological ideal worker. A pregnant woman is by default a deviation from that norm. Now, if you'll indulge me for just a moment here, imagine for a moment that we lived and worked in a world that wasn't designed around men with wives at home to handle all things personal. Let's pretend we lived in a world that valued women's work, all of women's work, both which has been historically paid for, and all the important caretaking work that's traditionally fallen on women's shoulders, and it's always created an invisible, unpaid care economy that the whole world relies on to go around. In this imaginary place, the creation of new life would be deemed important labor, would it not? How would you feel about becoming pregnant two weeks into your new job then? Sadly, we don't live in that world. Instead, internalized patriarchy echoes in our own self-talk in three main forms. First, guilt. Oh no, what selfish and embarrassing timing. Righteous fear. How will my boss or team react? And of course, apology. I am so sorry for the inconvenience of me, you know, continuing the human race. But here's the good news, okay? With conscious effort, we get to decide how we talk to ourselves about this kind of thing. We can reset our own inner expectations for ourselves, both personally and professionally. And then from a place of compassion and courage, reset outer expectations by asking for what we need from the world around us. The alternative, which I talk about in my book, Bossed Up, as the martyrdom mindset, involves sacrificing your well-being and personal life endlessly to try to please those around you. And as much as it seems like that might be the most frictionless path forward at first, it's not sustainable. Accepting that suffering is necessary for success wears you down over time, leading to burnout. So Ashley, you don't owe your boss anything because she treated you with compassion. And you also don't need to pull back necessarily on work simply because you can't keep up with your prior pace. But you do owe it to yourself to ask for the conditions you need to be successful now in your new normal. It's time to reset expectations first for yourself, both at work and at home, and then start resetting others' expectations for you too. Here are four ways to start doing that right now. First, give yourself permission to get a B. 
Have you ever heard the phrase, C's get degrees? My perfectionistic personality never quite embraced that, but there's some truth to it, right? To make it a little more palatable, let's remind ourselves that B's get degrees too. (laughs) Bottom line is, we do not need to be bringing our A game to work every single day. In fact, as an employer myself, I think of hiring and employing people like a long-term investment. You're not going to get the same exact level of productivity out of folks every day or in every season of their lives. What you're hopefully paying for is the long-term investment that they're making in your organization, the institutional knowledge, experience, and dedication that they bring with them. All of that stuff is absolutely priceless. Now, when workers do eventually leave, hiring a replacement takes a whole bunch of time, effort, and frankly, risk. You're not sure if that new hire is going to work out. And even if they do work out, you're essentially starting from scratch. Turnover is expensive for employers. That's why retaining talent is such a key strategic priority. It's something we help our clients with on the corporate level all the time, especially as it relates to retaining and developing women talent. So keep in mind, Ashley, if you're not as productive as you were before becoming a parent or as a child-free replacement might be, are there other ways that you bring added value to work? Don't discount your experience, wisdom, familiarity, commitment. All of those things matter just as much, if not more than, the number of hours you're putting in. I always counsel my job search clients who are trying to devote more time to the search but find themselves completely bogged down at their day job to experiment with giving 85% at work as opposed to their usual 100 or 110%. And more often than not, no one even notices. Tip number two here is to undercommit. We all know what it feels like to overcommit and underdeliver, right? In my book, I have an entire chapter devoted to strategically pursuing long-term goals. And in it, I share my own biggest bad habit that I call aspirational planning. I stumble into this trap when I chronically underestimate how long tasks will take me when I overbook my calendar as a result and realize only retroactively that I've committed to taking on 80 hours of work in a 40-hour work week. Oops. (laughs) And while I used to think of this as like a sign of my devotion to the organization, I've come to recognize it as the reckless, poor estimating and poor planning that it is. When you constantly overcommit, you're creating an organization-wide liability. It's like if you don't pull off some kind of time-traveling magic trick, balls are going to start to drop, deadlines will be missed, and a culture of under-delivering can permeate your entire department, team, or workplace. So now is the time to try something different, which will require bossing up in a big way. Become a more accurate accountant of your time, and you'll be better able to project your capacity with accuracy. Start blocking out your time in your calendar if need be, or start time tracking. My team and I time track every day. We track every amount of time, every minute we put into work, we track for accounting purposes. And then you'll gain a more realistic sense of exactly how much time certain recurring tasks might take you. 
And then this can become the basis of your argument for saying no more, for asking for help reshuffling your priorities, and generally setting more realistic deadlines for yourself and with others. We have to understand that quality versus expediency are almost always at odds. So if you need more time to deliver your work with the quality that you require of yourself, negotiate for more time early on in the process. Or the alternative is lower the bar for yourself in terms of the quality needed upon delivery. There's just nothing worse than a last-minute deadline being missed because you didn't forecast appropriately. That's really what we're talking about. Now, keep in mind, you don't have to make any of these strategic calculations alone. I know it sounds really hard to think undercommit, but I pride myself. This is my dream job. This is my, you know, opportunity to prove myself. And undercommitting sounds so antithetical to like the professional that you pride yourself on being. Same thing with getting a B. I know it's uncomfortable. But you can enlist your manager for support in this conversation. Right? Ask them to support you in setting really clear deliverables that outline both, okay, here's the task that I'm doing and the quality with which you're expected to deliver that task. You might be over-functioning, over-performing, and perfecting your work to an extent or to a, a level that your boss doesn't even really want you to be delivering work at. So this is a collaborative conversation to have with your manager. It's a big component of what we cover in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator, which is all about management and leadership skills. Uh, We have a a workshop on people management and delegation in, in month three that really hammers this message home. You have got to be clear on your tasks and standards in order to budget accurately for the time you need to succeed. That's a huge part of this, is just perhaps there's a forecasting problem happening. Now, from there, I like to focus on my highest and best use. This is a timeless economics principle that's really been key for me as a manager and leader in recent years, especially as our team here at Boss Up has grown and I've, I've directly started managing more full-time employees. This idea of knowing what your highest and best use is to the business can be super helpful. So, Ashley, Ask yourself this, what is the most valuable work that you can provide to your organization? What's the special sauce that only you have to offer? The unique skills or expertise that folks across your team come to you for. Now, compare that to all the other stuff that clogs up your average day or week. All the work you're doing that you could probably easily teach someone else to do if given the opportunity. Smart organizations focus every member of the team on their zone of excellence and encourage delegating or outsourcing the rest. And I get it, you know, everyone's job has some administrative duties involved, mine included, and administrative tasks in and of themselves are not beneath you by any means. But when your time is really limited, the question becomes, am I spending that time on the things that create the most value for my team and my company? Or am I getting bogged down in a bunch of other stuff that's just a waste? This is a concept worth discussing with your supervisor, especially when your time becomes more and more limited. Where are you best put to work on behalf of the organization? And where is your time perhaps being squandered? 
This is not a selfish conversation to have. It's a strategic one. Every minute you spend doing work on behalf of your company is also a company dollar being allocated towards a certain goal. So it's prudent of you to make sure that your time and the organization's money isn't being wasted. Now, if you're your own boss, I encourage you to take time to chronicle all the things you're doing on a daily basis that could probably be more easily outsourced and go find out how much money you'd have to invest to actually make that happen. It might be less than you think, and it'll free you up to focus your limited or diminishing time on the things you do best and, quite frankly, on the things that are more likely to bring more money into your business or your freelance work. And finally, the same thing goes for labor around the home. I know money is not a resource that many of us have a surplus of, but when your time becomes even more limited than your cash, it might be well worth the investment to bring in paid labor to help out around the house too. And that brings me to the final way that I personally have been resetting my own expectations for myself as a mom-to-be, asking for the help that we all need. This one has been tough for me, I'm not gonna lie. I am so used to being self-reliant, independent, and really doing things my own way. But let me tell you, pregnancy is a humbling precursor to parenthood. I think it's almost designed that way, right? To make us have to learn how to ask for help before baby arrives to get in the habit of doing so. So when it comes to asking for help at work, I recommend these kinds of go-to phrases. Hey, can we look at my priorities together and make sure we're aligned? This way, you're enlisting your boss as a collaborator and problem solver and framing your approach around empathy and wanting to be of the most support to them, right? How can I align myself with you? Or you might say, I want to make sure this is done well, and I'm worried about my ability to meet the Friday deadline. Can I get your help with this? Or can we move something else off my plate this week? This kind of approach leads with your intent, getting the job done well and with quality before asking for help. It helps explain the why before the what that you're asking for, and it's way more likely to yield a positive response because you're adding context, adding meaningful context to give them an understanding of your intent there. Or you might say something like this. I'm over capacity. Can we work together to refocus my time where I can be of the most use and maybe tap Brian to help carry the load? Here, again, you're enlisting your manager as a co-creator of the solution to your problem. Plus, you're offering up a suggestion by tapping a colleague or coworker or somebody else in the office as their consideration. You know, for your manager, you're offering the solution of, here's someone I think we could rope in on this with your blessing can I do that? Now, when it comes to asking for help at home, I like to take a slightly different approach. I focus on system change so that I don't trigger defensiveness by sounding accusatory. And it's interesting, right? Because I don't know. I think we're like the whole work-life balance conversation, especially when there's just you and your partner or spouse, um, when you're saying, hey, I'm underwater, I'm, I've got so much going on with household responsibilities. Also, just the fact that women still do twice as much housework and childcare duties as our full-time working male counterparts, 
you know, it can set us up to have like a gender wars, uh, especially in heterosexual partnerships. But it, it can sound accusatory, right? If we're saying, hey, I'm sick of being the only one who takes the trash out, what gives? So instead, I approach it like a system failure, right? This, the, our trash management system is not working for me. <laughs> and then it feels less like your partner or your family members are failing you and more like, hey, we got to team up to tackle this system problem together. So here's how I might approach those kinds of things. You might say, hey, the way we're tackling grocery shopping feels like it's just not working. Let's take some time together on Sunday to map out a better system after breakfast. This happened to me recently in the last couple months, uh, and I find it really helpful to bring up the challenge before suggesting any solutions well in advance to give them a heads up. I gave Brad the Boo some time to think about it, right, time to think about his own approach to solving this problem so that he could come prepared to discuss it with me on Saturday. And it was undeniable, right? Like we were running out of food in the middle of the week or we didn't have like a meal plan that was syncing up with our grocery shopping plan, basically once the pandemic hit, all of our pre-existing systems, which were working quite well, kind of fell apart. So it was time to reevaluate. And I'm proud to say that he came to the table on Saturday ready to talk about it and with his own suggestions so that I'm not coming up with the solution and just forcing it upon my partner. It was a real co-creation collaboration. You might say something like this as well. I know keeping a tidy home makes us feel so much more relaxed and peaceful, but I am exhausted from the amount of time I spend cleaning this house every single weekend. I think it's time we talk about investing in some paid help or finding another way to maintain our standard of cleanliness together. Again, here we're leading with that intent, our desire to keep a tidy, peaceful home, before diving into our ask and, and offering up some alternatives. And here's one final example. To make sure our schedules are aligned for the week and that we've got pickup and drop-off time covered, let's sync up on Sunday to look ahead and plan out our commutes together. Once again, here we're leading with intent before getting to our ask, and we're offering up a proposed solution to a recurring challenge. I found it especially important to not automatically assume responsibility for solving these kinds of problems on our own, whether it's at work or at home, because these are challenges that impact more people than just you, right? They impact your work colleagues, your boss, your partner, and your broader family members. So working moms don't need to be the only problem solvers. And frankly, if we start down that road of just assuming responsibility, it becomes a really slippery slope to just being the default person person who's carrying the mental load for the entire office or household. And that's not fair to anyone, least of all us. Now, it might take a little bit longer to do it this way, right? It might be a little more, there might be a little more diplomacy required, but I strongly encourage all of us to do the work of raising the challenge, the problem, and then enlisting others in developing solutions together. At the end of the day, it is so important for us to remember that this fleeting but precious period of time around welcoming a new child into your world is a majorly disruptive 
life event. And Ashley, when you layer on a global pandemic on top of it all, that's doubly disruptive. It would be absolutely bonkers to think that your way of living and working wouldn't change as a result, right? To think that you could, of course, match your prior pace at work would be ridiculous. So we've got to be kind and compassionate towards ourselves as we reset our own expectations and then unapologetically reset others' expectations of us as well. Last week when I shared podcast episode number 331, which is my interview with author Daisy Dowling, all about how to find sustainable success as a working parent, my comment section blew up with words of wisdom from all kinds of parents who echoed all of the sentiments that I shared today, too. I asked in my, in my post, you know, how exactly do working parents make it work? And I thought I would end today's podcast with a few words of wisdom from what some of my friends and, and our fellow Bossed Up community members had to say. Uh, a friend, Haley, said, a supportive partner, lower expectations, and help in all caps. We are a year into this and we're finding a balance. I'm learning what matters to me. Rebecca came into the conversation to just chime in there and said, Haley, I came here to say this too. Shifting expectations is major. My friend Michelle said, my advice is to be completely matter of fact about what's on your plate and what you're reasonably able to do. I find the more confidence I exude about my capacity and expectations that others can hold me to, the more I'm respected for what I'm able to contribute. It's when I start apologizing and doubting myself or portraying that I feel like I'm not pulling my weight or doing enough that I feel that same doubt reflected back at me from others. Like many, I hold myself to high expectations and want to over-deliver and impress, but I need to keep those goals in check because let's be real, there are only so many hours in the day and it's got to be family first. It goes by way too quickly. And finally, my friend Jeremy chimed in with this. It took me a while to realize and accept, but you can't be 100% at everything all the time. Thankfully, I realize that the family part is way more important to prioritize and work will always be there when you come back. So Ashley, first of all, thank you for writing in with your extremely compelling and super relatable question. Know that you are not alone, that this time will not last forever. And I might have to play this podcast back to myself in about five months here. When I really need to hear this message, right? But it's so, so important that we move forward giving ourselves the same grace, compassion, and unconditional love that we show our little ones as we navigate this period of growth. Remember, we deserve it. Bosses, that's all I got for you today. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's boss tip. What would you add to these recommendations? What would you share in terms of your words of wisdom for a mom to be like me or a mom who's a, almost a year in uh, and trying to navigate it all, thinking about pulling back on work, thinking about giving up on her dream job, her self-proclaimed dream job because of the intensity of doing all of this with a newborn and with COVID and just all the stress that comes our way. I'd love to hear from you. You can get today's detailed post 
the blog post that corresponds with today's episode and has tons of hyperlinks linking to other related resources at bossedup.org slash episode 334. And if you found today's episode helpful, make sure to take a moment now to share it with the women in your world or the men in your world who you know could use it. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together let's lift as we climb.